0: From a dark corner aboard the Nostromo, it's the IGN digi And now, please welcome two men you wouldn't hear scream in space, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Oh yeah, alien reference. A lot of good stuff that always comes with an alien reference. Uh, Corey, who sent that in? That was written by Kevin Lower, and Kevin, I have to disagree. I, I do believe that, that at least you would hear Mark scream. That's probably true. We would hear you scream, wouldn't you? Wouldn't we?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Corey would scream mm. like a girl.
0: I'm digging around here to uh, sort through a few of these things. We've got, we, we got a lot of stuff to cover this week. This is uh, really some, some awesome movies, by the way, and some crappy movies. This is an un- totally some good indies this week. Right, like usually it's like oh here's much studio stuff and here's from the Indies they're like barely keeping a but no some really aw- one film in particular that I think is one of the bravest filmmaking efforts of the last several years and what? I'm not talking about Boyhood which by the way the anti Boyhood movement is finally gaining momentum <laughs> you know that right we're, there's like there's there, we're not we're finding solidarity they, we're we're you know all individ- we're all divergent. And we're Ooh. finding each other.
1: It's so, it's the if you take away the gimmick, the movie sucks uh, thing.
0: Yeah, well, look, I was, I was on radio with Claudia Puig some weeks ago, and Claudia loved it like everybody else. And I said, I said, look, I realize everybody loves this movie. It's 100% in Rotten Tomatoes, but I think it's overrated. I said, I, I give it a, you know, A for ambition, B for effort, C for execution. It's just not that interesting. And then last week, Kenny Turan came out with a, with a piece. Did you read his piece in did. It, where he's like, uh, sorry, I don't like it? I don't hate it, but it's not that great. And uh, and then on Facebook, I was like, rock on, Kenny, I'm right right with you. And Bob Strauss came in and said, that makes three of us. (laughs) What a banal movie about a bunch of white people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like something Bob Strauss
0: would say. (laughs) Bob's so funny. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, thank goodness. It's, you know, finally a little sobriety and people saying, you know, wait a minute, let's not get carried away.
1: That being said, you should be happy that the movie is doing so well because then other people will want to make other movies that have that sort of ambition. Sure.
0: Look, I I admire the ambition. I really do. Uh, And obviously this has nothing to do with Blu-rays or DVDs, and I'm sure a lot of people love it. I don't doubt that they love it. But to me, it's just once you, when you drag a single movie out across 10, 12 years you're losing something that is, about, that is dynamic in the filmmaking process. We've worked on films together you know, a million years ago. And it's like there's, when, once you, you're like, okay, this is the first day, and we've got two or three weeks to do this, and every morning this is our call time, and this is your finish time, and this is the pressure cooker. And it's like everybody does their best, and you're on. And you realize we're not going to get a second shot at this. And when, when it just gets leisurely, it's like, all right, uh, let's wrap till next summer. It's like you lose something you, and, and the film is just too sort of eh. <laughs> eh. And then by the time that kid grows up It's like you didn't cast him f- For what he was as an adult You cast him as a kid And when he grows up He's not a very interesting actor He's kind of lame <laughs> And you're stuck with him Because you committed
1: yourself Hater it's just, It doesn't work you You're know? a hater, Wade
0: Anyway, yeah
1: And speaking of hating You know what I love? What do you love? The New York Mets I know you do Because they are a figure prominently in um, Baseball Seasons, the 1980s. Now, because all I watch is the MLB Network, uh, I have seen their show called Baseball Seasons. And this is a DVD because I don't know why MLB doesn't uh, switch to Blu-ray. They have compiled uh, their Baseball Seasons episodes from the 80s into one DVD set. So you've got uh, Fernando Mania. This, of course, that's Kirk Gibson from uh, 88. And you've got the 86 Mets. And you've got uh, Bo Jackson and the whole nine yards. So... I think this is great. I've already seen it on the network, so I'm, I'm not going to own this DVD. But uh, if you do love the 80s, at least baseball-wise, uh, it's a must-buy. Baseball's Seasons, the 1980s, from the good folks at the MLB Network, the nice. only network I watch.
0: Nice. Because I'm a nerd. So I'm going uh, to crank through a few uh, foreign films. We, we, we wanted to get to some foreign last week. We're not able to. So I'm going to blow through a few of these because um, there's some great stuff in here. And uh, first off is Bicycling with Moliere, which is a wonderful movie. It's the stupidest,
1: Nick. God, it's I, it's you such know what? like a film forum, New You York, know what? In, I in know,
0: York. I know, and it, it, that's what you would think. <laughs> and I was afraid that this would never get theatrical release. And it did. Strand picked it up, and Strand has put it out on uh, DVD, not on Blu-ray. should be on Blu-ray. This is a really fun film. Fantastic performances from Fabrice Lucchini and Lambert Wilson. Um... So he, this is directed by Philippe Legay, who did uh, Women on the Sixth Floor with Fabrice <laughs> Lucchini. <laughs>
1: his name's Gay. Yes,
0: G-U-A-Y. Shut up. Uh, Women on the Sixth Floor with uh, Fabrice Lucchini, which was also wonderful. And this is, y- you do not need to be uh, an expert in Moliere to appreciate this. The, it fills in enough of the blanks. You, but it, you, you quickly, very, you very quickly understand just how religiously French stage actors... Love Moliere. Moliere is their Shakespeare. He, his use of language and puns and double entendre and the wit and the twists and the turns, and, and it's just his, his far, it's just it, to them, it is everything that their theater stands for. And uh, this is really, really great. And the idea here is that um, both of these guys, Fabrice Lucchini and Lambert Wilson, used to be actors together, and Fabrice Lucchini's uh, career has not been quite so great, and uh, uh, Lambert Wilson now stars in this horrible television you know uh, medical drama, and uh, Fabrice Lucchini wants to uh, you know get together again and uh, do a production. Um, of of, of a Moliere play. Uh, The problem is that they don't agree on how the play should be done. They don't necessarily agree on who should play what part. And, uh, you know, uh, so they, they, all these tensions kind of start to really boil over as they start rehearsing it and they make compromises and the disagreements. It just, It's amazing. It's just really, really amazing. It's just really wonderful. And Fabrizio Zucchini is so funny and so intense. And Lambert Wilson hasn't been this good in ages. I mean, it, scenes where... They, they argue just about where the emphasis should go on a certain word in a certain sentence. It's fantastic. It's just really wonderful stuff.
1: And bicycling with Moliere.
0: Bicycling with Moliere. Yeah. It's just delightful. Uh, then uh, Abbas Kiarostami's The Wind Will Carry Us is out on Blu-ray from Cohen. And uh, Kiarastami, you know, has really kind of segued out of being a traditional Iranian filmmaker and uh, kind of become an interesting sort of uh, expat filmmaker, he's primarily great. working out of out of France now. He's great. Um, Love him. Yep, he's fantastic. So anyway, this film was actually made 15 years ago, and uh, it is uh, it is a it is a lovely. It's it's kind of it's it, it's it's always been under everybody's radar a little bit. This was not uh, one that sort of uh, falls off of people's lips when they're always talking about the uh, the, the the great about Skirostami Films, even though it was a, uh, a winner at the Venice Film Festival. Somehow this kind of, it just faded away, it's one of those, you know, like every once in a while a film will win a festival and then it just disappears and nobody pays attention to it. Anyway, the idea basically being it takes place in a small village where a television crew shows up to uh, treat the village as kind of an anthropological uh, study as far as certain, certain ritual practices in the village. And uh, it's just a wonderful character study. Beautifully done, very deliberate, takes, you know, really takes its time, really unfolds very slowly and naturalistically, but it's just beautiful. It's an absolutely wonderful film, and it's a great Blu-ray transfer. And then from Criterion, we have Robert Bresson's uh, *Pickpocket* in a, a dual Blu-ray and DVD uh, combo set. One of the last, once again. Uh, and you know, Bresson is just one of the greats of all time. Uh, not a New Wave filmmaker, but from the New Wave era, he was a uh, kind of—he's one of those guys like uh, who, who sort of bridges the gap between the previous generation and the New Wave filmmakers, but still kind of, t- you know, plays his own tune. Anyway, this is just a great film. It's been out on DVD before, and uh, lots of fantastic extras here, including a great audio commentary by uh, James Quant, who's done tons of fantastic commentaries. Paul Schrader does an intro. And you get a 2003 documentary by uh, Babette Mangold, uh, which kind of revisits the film. And uh, it's great. Really, really great. So uh, that is a beautiful Blu-ray, and uh, Bresson's you know, incredibly poetic way of looking at common people is on beautiful display there Uh, from Raro video which gives uh, which now releases through Kino and uh, grabs a lot of uh, old Italian films primarily they have Giuseppe Ferrara's The Bankers of God The Calvi Affair which is a title that grabs me immediately Uh, otherwise in Italian I Banchieri de Dio Il Caso Calvi how's that how's that for my Italian
1: The only Italian I know is sausage pizza.
0: Anyway, this is a middling thriller that uh, gets into the uh, 1982 murder of uh, Roberto Calvi, the uh, Italian bank president. Was that the same banking scandal that they tried to tie up with the Vatican in uh, Godfather Three?
1: Oh, my God. I, I can't remember that. I think I it no was. Idea.
0: I think it was.
1: Heck of a question, though. Don't know.
0: Yeah, I think it was. I mean, I lose track of Italian scandals. There's just too many of them. Did, did, isn't, isn't there one recently uh, with, uh, like, hookers and uh, bonga bonga parties?
1: Well, that's... What's his name?
0: Yeah, I know. Bill uh, uh, Yeah. It's, I didn't want to leave that as what's his name. I wanted to be able to say Bill <laughs> I know. It's funnier he's if he says what's his name because he just doesn't go away. He's the best. And he's, uh, he's a media mogul. Anyway,
1: he was always a media mogul. Uh,
0: so Rutger Hauer is uh, is the uh, the head of the Vatican Bank in this one, and I'm pretty sure that that's the, this. is the exact same scandal that Godfather Three tries tries to deal with. Anyway, Rutger Hauer is ridiculous. Anyway, it's okay. Uh, you know, it's okay. It's it it it. You know, it's middling, um, relatively interesting, but didn't exactly even make me want to go dig up Godfather Three to see how they handled it. Uh, Catherine Deneuve in uh, On My Way is luminous as always, and uh, you know just uh, th- how that woman just does not age is a mystery to me um but anyway it, the idea here is she plays a former beauty queen uh who suddenly is finding that you know life is not quite what it used to be and uh she has this restaurant and things are you know, financially not so good, and her life is suddenly not so good, and uh, she decides to go on this kind of road trip of rediscovery. And it's a, it's a lovely, just uh, one of these pastoral French dramas. It's just beautiful. And, and anytime you put Deneuve in front of a camera and just let her act and do her thing, you're going to win. And uh, finally, Bertrand Tavernier gives us a comedy. Tavernier is always great, one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Some of his best films are still not on Blu ray or DVD, like L627. Where the hell is that?
1: Hello? LV-426. That, that was the planet where you the aliens
0: live. You didn't see L-627. I saw LV-426. Freaking amazing movie. Like one of the best cop films I have ever seen. So intense. Uh, anyway, but... Uh, you he, know what? I
1: would look that up on Netflix. I bet they don't have it. L.627.
0: 620, like L six two seven. Look at that. It's, it's freaking amazing. Right uh, so anyway, great cast in this. Uh, Thierry Lamite and Niels Aristrup who just neither one can do any wrong these days, in uh, basically a a satire of French politics, which is probably why this didn't get a wider release, because most people probably don't care much about French politics or even understand it. But uh, i got to tell you, it really is, if you know anything about French politics, it's hilarious. And even if you don't, it's still very, very funny, because so much of it applies to... All politics. I mean, it's uh, so they, you probably could have really given this a much broader, wider release. What's it called? Um,
1: L dot
0: six two seven. Americans really take a lot of punches in this. Uh, Russians take a lot of punches. Chinese take a lot of punches. It's uh, it's really fun. So I would highly recommend it. The French minister from the great master Bertrand Tavernier, who just does not get old. He just keeps kicking and doing amazing stuff. Uh, did you find it, Mark?
1: Uh, well, I don't think Netflix, uh, has it. they do not have it. They have a bunch of his stuff. All right. right? Well then while you're, while you're, while well, you're they have a coup de torchon, right? Yeah. Can't beat that. Right. Uh, Key Dorsay. Okay. French minister, safe conduct. Okay. Um, the clockmaker, it all starts today. Let joy reign supreme. Okay. Life and nothing but, round midnight, of course. Uh yeah so not uh, do we do
0: TV or do you want me to burn through some, uh, so some we're movies t-
1: weren't you just doing TV no
0: I was doing foreign films
1: Oh, I wasn't paying attention either. doing
0: some TV <laughs> let's do, do, do TV, TV? Uh,
1: let's do TV let's do TV oaky smoky low winter sun is a uh, got in-
0: cancelled <laughs> it's too bad
1: uh, is it, though? It's just its so bleak. Well, it's, you know, it's, you it's, watch these shows, it's yeah. like, oh, look, it's a mangy dog with a rat in its mouth running across an alley at well, night. I, I, I well, wow, I say it's that's too... That's existential.
0: I say it's too bad because... Tim and I have a friend who was in this. Uh, Sherman Augustus was was a regular on this.
1: Oh, I know Sherman. Yeah, you know well, Sherman. Oh, good for him.
0: Sherman was a Sherman was semi regular. He came on a few episodes in, and well, good for it, him. Was, uh, it was it was going to be a really good gig for him. I mean, he was he was really good. He was like Mark Strong's, you know, he was an attorney, Mark Strong's best friend or whatever. Anyway, didn't didn't pan out. So no, it on didn't. other things. But I, I this was originally a British series, correct? And they transplanted it with Mark Strong playing the same character in into Detroit. Detroit yes. yes.
1: So uh, yeah, it's about a. Uh, it starts with the murder of an in, internal affairs cop, and then it goes on from there. As of course, Mark Strong enters the, the heart of darkness in Detroit, and look, in a windswept <laughs> rain-streaked street. It's pretty a, dark. No, it's a really it's just, dark, brooding show. That's yeah, why you know it didn't last. It's dark really heavy. heavy. No one cares. Yeah. Stop being dark and brooding. Yeah, but, talk, but it was tell a tell good show. Story.
0: Anyway, this is a complete series. Tell Too bad it story. didn't last longer.
1: All right. Also, we have uh, uh, bitten. This was a show on the Sci-Fi Network. This was another stupid show. This was mm-hmm. um, this show is all about uh, the only female female werewolf, played by uh, Laura Vandervoort. Of course. And uh, she, uh, there's a bunch of murders happening in the city, and as the only female uh, werewolf, she's the one who is uh, entrusted to investigate these murders. And um, the show, it's a pretty silly, pretty campy. Takes this up very seriously, but is basically stupid. And, uh, yeah, you know what? All the werewolf transformation stuff we've seen a million times before with, like, you know, the glowing eyes and all that sort of crap. So it, it really it, – it takes all the usual werewolf tropes and puts them together and makes nothing new out of it. Uh, th- this thing should really be on, like, MTV. It feels like Teen Wolf. It's just not very good. So it is available on uh, Blu-ray, and uh, there's a bunch of uh, deleted scenes and an audio commentary by uh, the star and the producers. So there you go. Bit Night pass on it. Awesome. At- the one thing I would get, which Wade's going to give me, and you're not going to miss it, Wade, is the Marx Brothers TV collection. You know you give me this. You don't want The this. Marx Brothers were on TV? Well, you know, look, after their... Uh, it's funny It's funny how the Marx Brothers movies sort of coincided... I mean, I know Groucho
0: was on TV, but... Sure,
1: but they, but here's the... Thing, after and their, was
0: on I Love Lucy.
1: After their movie career sort of, not petered out, but like... You know when TV came in and the Marx yeah. Brothers movies were on the downslide and TV was on the upslide. Yeah. the Marx Brothers were always very savvy. You know they started in Vaudeville, and then went to Broadway, and then did, did yeah. iconic films that I, I I can watch a thousand times. They did a bunch of TV. In fact, a surprising amount of TV for like twenty years. Now, right. Groucho obviously was a game show host, but if you look at this Marx Brothers TV collection, you'll see all the brothers doing. I mean, the Dick Cavett show and the Jackie Gleason show, Dinah Shore, Perry Como, Celebrity Billiards. All these crazy shows that they did for 20 years to extend their career. And uh, it's great. I mean, Groucho, to me, honestly, Groucho, the Marx Brothers begin and end, for me, with Groucho. The they rest do. I can basically kind of do without, although I hate to say that. Cause have I'm you ever Groucho.
0: met anyone whose favorite Marx Brother was Chico? Uh, no. Let's absolutely. not even get to, to, to no. Zeppo or Gummo. No. No.
1: no. Okay. It's all about Groucho. So, but still, this is great stuff. And you know, I, do ha- I have a similar DVD set called um, Steve Martin, The TV Stuff. Right, and it's yeah. it's, a, it's a DVD compilation of all of Steve Martin's various TV appearances, and it's great. It's just you totally get your fill of Steve Martin goodness. And this is the same thing, Marx Brothers TV collection. It's ten hours of TV appearances and all these great shows. So if you love the Marx Brothers, it's not their films, but it's how they were able to extend their career in the television era. Very highly Got recommended. It. I'm going to take this. Interview. All
0: right, so uh, let me l- l- knock out some uh, old films some classics here mostly not really that classic. Uh Motel Hell and uh Phantom of the Paradise from Scream Factory, we get uh Blu-ray editions here. Motel Hell is a Blu-ray DVD combo pack. Uh Phantom of the o- uh, Phantom of the Paradise is simply a uh, a Blu-ray set. But uh both Brian of these De Palma. Brian De Palma. Let let's talk about Phantom of the Paradise first. This is Brian De Palma doing a really kitschy 70s version of Phantom of the Opera with uh Paul Williams and it's just Really he groovy. Sold his
1: soul for rock and it's roll. It's
0: so groovy. It's just so unusual.
1: It's funny. It's yeah. Uh, I it's,
0: don't know how funny it is. It's just weird. It's it, you know. It's just you kind of go. What did, were they thinking? But yeah, I guess at the time, this was like a thing.
1: Yeah, but all you know. Look, also, you see. Look, it's, it's like pretty, it's, it's pretty. Look, it, it, once De Palma entered, his like I'm going to rip off Hitchcock phase. He became something else. Yeah. But in this film, you feel like his enthusiasm, is love for movies. I want to make this thing happen this man. is
0: like if they decided to remake xanadu as phantom of the opera it's just really i mean i love xanadu but it's like
1: this is very strange oh, it's a heart musical comedy it's a Can't
0: odd be, it's movie best. paul williams jessica harper's in this paul williams jessica harper's in this
1: paul williams i know
0: anyway <laughs> uh yeah Great. it's very it, paul williams what can you say Whatever. Anyway, tons of extras here. You get a Blu ray and a DVD on separate discs. And uh, you get an audio commentary with Jessica Harper and a bunch of other people involved. Uh, New interviews with Brian De Palma, Paul Williams, and Tom Berman, who did the makeup effects. And uh, you get a lot of other stuff on disc, too, which is strictly related, uh, oriented to the DVD, which includes an interview with the costume designer, alternate takes, and a really interesting Paul Williams interview that is moderated by Guillermo del Toro. Ooh. Right. And that almost makes me appreciate the film more, because Guillermo is, is so the man. But um, still, I just it's still odd to me. It's still really peculiar. And Motel Hell, of course, is just one of those really, really silly uh, slasher era horror films that, that, you know, it just tries to be a shock fest and it's uh, a little bit of Sweeney Todd and, uh, you know, Rory Calhoun, a very old Rory Calhoun is trying to keep paying his boat payments, I guess. Uh, The guy who directed this, Kevin Conner, total schlockmeister from the era. The one thing that I really appreciate about this is that uh, the first quote... On the back of the box, the very first quote is from box office. <laughs> Packs a punch that goes way beyond mere terror. Yeah. That's the box office quote. And i got to wonder who wrote that, because that's way before our day. That's way, way before our day. our day in box office. Speak,
1: so. you, know, you, you know what I was thinking the other day? Yeah. What happened to Pete Hammond? Does hmm? he just do, what happened to Pete Hammond? Does he just write for Deadline, or does he not I write right, for Deadline do he, anymore?
0: He, no, he writes for the LA Times, too. He does? Uh, he does? Whatever, yeah.
1: Features or not reviews?
0: Hmm? Reviews or features? He he does isn't he he, he writes for the uh, envelope. Oh, does he? Yeah, he writes for the envelope. Well, he he
1: does a lot of uh, like awards prognosticating, yeah. but he he's no longer writing reviews. I don't think.
0: I I can't I, I have no idea. I, I I don't actually actively seek out his reviews actually. Paul Williams. And then uh, we also have a couple from um, Scorpion, who we talked about last week, uh, who's you know going out and digging out a lot of uh, films that have not been released yet. And they got a couple of really good ones here, to be honest. Uh, One which I thought, oh my gosh, I remember that movie. I I remember seeing that in the theater. I totally forgot that even existed. And the other one I've never heard of before. The one I've never heard of before is Careful He Might Hear You. Uh, This is from 1983, and I would have been graduating from high school. And this is uh, a Depression-era drama uh, that's perfectly fine. It's based on a, on a novel by Summerlock Elliot, who I'm not familiar with. And it's, uh, you know, Australia during the Great Depression and uh, it's good. I mean, it's, you know, I don't know how I missed this. I would have been desperately wanting to see this had I known about it. But anyway, um, so that's, you know, depression in, in Australia. And then the one that I did see was A Summer Story. I totally remember this I was like oh my gosh and this is why I want to see it because of that artwork the original poster artwork they put on the cover of the DVD
1: oh it's so lush and, it's, and so English countryside. it's so Wuthering Heights it's so English countryside
0: exactly. right it's so Wuthering Heights you know it, the man holding the woman and he's wearing the, the loose fitting kind of linen-y shirt from like a Dickens yeah. novel and, you know his, his bare feet and it just it's got that great kind of rolling hillside look to it. Anyway, Summer Story is starring a very young James Wilby, Susanna York, and a delicious Imogen Stubbs. Uh, fantastic Imogen Stubbs is just awesome in this. And uh, it, it is kind of a fairly traditional uh, period romance uh, based on the, uh, the Apple Tree by John Galsworthy, but it's, uh, you know, it, it works. It just completely works. He's a lawyer, she's a, she's a country girl, and... There you go. Fill in the blanks. You know Everything goes well until it doesn't. And uh, then everything kind of wraps up again. And it's fantastic. It's beautifully shot. Uh, directed by Piers Haggard, who does a great job. Uh, fantastic script by Penelope Mortimer. It's just great. It's a, it's a perfectly wonderful period film uh, from 1987. I'd totally forgotten that film even existed. And uh, then lastly, uh, we got some MOD titles here. Just to, uh, let me go through these real quickly. Uh, Alan Ladd in Drumbeat. This is from the Warner Archive Collection. A uh, beautifully photographed Cinemascope Western that's just, it's so-so. You know, Charles Bronson uh, kind of turns in his first uh, really significant film performance in this. Otherwise, it's just a pretty routine Alan Ladd uh, vehicle. And uh, Delmer Dave's Made a million of these uh, So Alan Ladd Kind of elevates The Delmer Dave's uh, Routine material And then we also have Alan Ladd In The Deep Six um, Which is a, uh, a World War II film That's uh You know, kind of a, again, kind of standard action thing. Uh, Alan Ladd is sort of the the hard-boiled guy who walks through a lot of these films. He's got that granite face, and he's sort of like Alan Ladd wound up being, and I say this with all due respect because my father had had, uh, taught Alan Ladd at one point, but Alan Ladd is kind of like the guy that you get when Gary Cooper is not available. You know what I mean?
1: I never liked Gary Cooper.
0: Yeah, but but like if you can't get Gary Cooper, you get you get Alan, Alan Ladd. Alan. yeah, that's true. It's sort of I, I don't know it's just how it feels in some of these films. I'm like I bet Gary Cooper passed on this. Uh, anyway, James Whitmore, J- uh, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., Keenan Wynn, William Bendix, good cast. You know it's good cast. Uh, for a for, you know for a World War II film, all these kind of tough guys and, on a boat, but it's still kind of middling. And then uh, we also have June Allison and Van Johnson in Too Young to Kiss. Aw, Too Young to Kiss. Which is really, really sweet. Um, Better film than I think should be on uh, an MOD release. Uh, But, uh, you know, uh, I I guess that's, you know, you can't put them all out on Blu ray. Robert Z. Leonard directed that one. Uh, And then the last one from the Warner Archive collection is The Secret Heart with Claudette Colbert and Walter Pidgeon and June Allison. Uh, I wouldn't call this quite a noir. This is also directed by Robert Z. Leonard. I wouldn't quite call it a noir. Uh, It's also not quite a traditional drama. It's not quite a thriller. It's just a fairly intense something between all of those things. And um, kind of, I guess, a psychological noir, you might want to call it. But anyway, it's called The Secret Heart. Really good performances from all three. And then lastly, from the Sony MOD line, the Choice Collection, we get uh, Canal Zone, which uh, is a straight-up wartime programmer. I mean, this, is, these, this was like a straight-up wartime B-movie about bomber pilots. And that's all it is. It's just a movie about bomber pilots. Uh, there's a story there, but it's utterly irrelevant to mention. And then uh, Drive a Crooked Road is kind of a weird classic. It's, a lot of people love this film. This shows up at uh, revival houses all the time. In really raggedy prints, and uh, that's only because it is one of uh, Mickey Rooney's—I don't want to say one of his best performances. Um,
1: Has Mickey Rooney ever given like a great performance? <laughs> God love him. but he's Mickey it's, Rooney. I'm it's just like, saying—he's he's like a great actor. It's one of his hammiest performances. There you go. Uh,
0: you know, he's—he he's, wants to be—he's a mechanic who wants to drive race, to race cars, but he's just kind of a doofus and uh, has no sort of no skills with women or people or whatever and uh, you know then you got entered Diane Foster who's sort of the, the woman who steals his heart and anyway uh, all things you know th- then, then you wind up they, th- they throw in a bank robbery and this thing goes completely off the rails uh, but uh, I gotta tell you Mickey Rooney man when he hams it up even if it doesn't work somehow you just go that's the only reason I'm watching this movie is because Mickey just he decided that this movie that wasn't very good so he's just gonna bring the ham and bring the camp
1: <laughs> bring the
0: ham. Bring the cam <coughs> Excuse me. Wow, what happened there? Got, got. I choked on my own throat.
1: Do you need more water, Wade? Mm.
0: Fill her up. Now let's, yes, let's get let's into some uh, some new films. New films. New films. i bring some bring the new films over, and um, we'll get going. I'm going to make mention first of a little Halle Berry movie. That came and went, and it sat on the shelf for years and years and years. She plays a uh, schizophrenic woman, multiple personalities. Oh, in look, Fra- I
1: want another Oscar, so I'm going to play a schizophrenic. In
0: Frankie and Alice. It's kind of like Sybil, minus a dozen personalities. Um, you know what? She's really good in it, but the rest of the movie, uh, just kinda, it's Sybil, right? I mean, we've seen this before, and it just doesn't really do much. Uh, but this was, this was her attempt to try to you know, get another Oscar nomination. There's no doubt about it. She produced it. But uh, it's, it's just a multiple personality movie. But anyway, it is out in a DVD and digital uh, combo set from the Lionsgate. Uh, not Blu-ray, obviously, because they don't think that they could get their money back if they'd made a Blu-ray. It really is pretty much rental only, strictly for fans of Halle Berry. But it's called Frankie and Alice.
1: Away to Filth is a uh, very, very dirty, grungy out there film. Uh, this is uh, from the creator of uh, Train Spotting. In fact, it is based on um, Irv- uh, Irving Welsh is the guy who wrote Train Spotting, And this is uh, film uh, this based on one of his other novels. Got this is it. a 1998 novel. And uh, it stars um, James McAvoy, who just completely like just shreds his reputation. It's just so bizarre. I don't
0: know why he made that movie. I really don't. The, tra- <laughs> he, the trailers were horrible.
1: He plays this Edinburgh detective. Guy's totally coked up. He's halfway to like just completely just exploding in like this just a huge mountain of coke and dirt and grime and self hate. And, <laughs> self-hate. and uh, you know, it's, it, it, there are parts of it that are funny and there are parts of it that are kind of tragic. And you know it's it's definitely like a weird out of control movie. It doesn't have it doesn't have the uh, the control that Danny Boyle gave to Train Spotting because Train Spotting was out of control too. It was, but you felt like there was somebody at the wheel. Yes, you know that's true. Good point. I mean, here you have John Baird who kind of it really just just dives into all the filth of this movie. And you know, looks it's totally gross. And Imogen Poots is in it, and Eddie Marsan. We all love Eddie Mars, And He's in, it, and Jamie Bell's in it. But um it's just all over the place and, and it part of it knows it's all over the place, but then again it's just it's just way too bonkers and you feel like there's just nobody <laughs> at the wheel of this thing.
0: You know? It's way too bonkers. the Mark Kaiser, it's way too bonkers. It's been quoted exactly. in the back of the box.
1: it which is not to say yeah. that there's like nothing entertaining about it, but it's just it's just out of its mind. Yeah. So I, I would pass on filth. It, it, it's 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 yeah, it's out of its
0: mind. So, Nicolas Cage in Rage, which uh, hit theaters a few weeks ago, uh, and is now out on uh, Blu-ray and DVD, a D- Blu-ray and DVD combo set, uh, you know, here's the thing, Nicholas Cage makes a lot of bad movies, a lot of bad movies. He started to make a few good movies again, now and again, but Rage, he's got the slick back black hair that just makes him look silly, and... Uh, this is basically taken all over again i mean he's he's now uh, a respectable man in the community doing you know all kinds of uh, you know development deals and whatnot but then they then his daughter they take his daughter and he Puts the you know the old gang back together again to go and wreak havoc and wreak revenge and uh, it gets ugly and it gets violent and it gets horrible and Peter Stormare shows up for ten seconds another really campy performance and Danny Glover it's like why are you, Danny Glover's playing a cop who Danny he, here's what Danny Glover does he, Danny Glover is the cop who shows up and pulls him aside and says you got to back off I can't protect you if you do this you've never seen that before have you n- never never anyway. Um, uh, here's the thing about this The whole movie is really silly And really just predictable to a T Until it gets to the end And there's a little equi As Mark would say at the end equi twist equi twist There's an equi at the end um, that almost makes it meaningful, but you go. But I don't think anybody's really aware of the fact that this is kind of what the movie was about. It's like it's a throw. It's almost a throwaway thing. It, it's like they're like, okay, now we'll uh, now ha gotcha, and then we walk away. And it, 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 there's no indication that they really realize that they're sort of saying something somewhat meaningful, or at least trying to. And that's too bad because it could have been a much better movie if they'd have sort of played toward that. The, the themes that, that kind of come up at the end. There's also an alternate ending that's uh, tacked on here in the extras and to some deleted scenes. And you realize the alternate ending uh, could have worked. Could have worked. Might have worked better, actually. So that's, that's sort of interesting.
1: Uh, Wade, a small little uh, dramedy called Kilimanjaro. This um, is about a guy, played by Brian uh, Garrity, that's how you pronounce it yep who uh, he's just like this office drone and he hates his girlfriend played by the delicious Alexia Rasmussen who I've never heard of but she's pretty and uh, he decides to um, uh, he decides to climb Mount Kilimanjaro good for he him get him out of his rut he's good for him to, uh, I'm glad accompany he's his buddy, so happy he's going to do that Marquette, to climb Mount Kilimanjaro good So this thing tries to take on a lot of different tones, comedy, drama. Mm -hmm. It can't really juggle them all. It's way too kind of like low-budget rom-com-y. But it does have a pretty decent uh, supporting cast that helps get you through it, including Jim Gaffigan, who I love, uh, Bruce Altman, and Abigail Spencer. So um, Kilimanjaro, if you've you've watched every other romantic comedy you can ever watch in your entire life Mm -hmm. twice, you can check out Kilimanjaro. Nice. Exactly. Haunted House 2 is another uh, one of those spoof films by the uh, Wayans uh, folks I think these movies are just absolutely terrible they're just low common denominator humor No, there's, it's funny how like how little fun a comedy can be you know I just think yeah. these things are just not that funny and uh, it's not, they're not that clever lowest common denominator jokes you know it's almost like the joke is in recognizing what movie they're spoofing and that's not really enough So, not a fan. Um, Where are the Zucker Brothers when you need them?
0: Uh, That's a good question. Exactly.
1: So, Haunted House 2. Haunted haunted House 2. Forget about that. Straight to DVD, we have Swelter, which is about a uh, bank robbery and a sheriff and a bunch of buried cash and a bunch of car chases and it's just typical B-movie stuff. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Makes an appearance here. He's in this. That's the only reason to even remotely recommend this. Although it's a little sad that um, Jean-Claude Van Damme, for about four seconds, it looked like he was going to maybe turn it around. But I think now it's over. Um, no, Alfred,
0: he, he's going to he's gonna have kind of a weird second-wind B career. So.
1: Yeah, Alfred Molina's in this for reasons that I absolutely can understand. Alfred Molina must be friends with somebody here. M- one of the producers, maybe Keith Palmer, the writer director, because I don't know what he's doing in this thing. Maybe, you know, he's not in it very much. It was probably like a couple of days of work for, you know, X number of thousands of dollars. He's asked, screw it, let's do it. But otherwise, this thing is just just typical revenge B-movie crap. That's what I say. Cool.
0: All right. Got a bunch of British actor things here. Some of my favorite British actors of all time. I'm going to roll through them real quickly. Well, two I'll roll through quickly. And the next two we're going to have some really interesting conversations about. Uh, Summer in February is a lovely little British film. From uh, Synodime and Tribeca Film. Uh, basically, the story of the friendship between, uh, it's, it's a romance, but it's also about friendship. Uh, uh, Alfred Munnings, who is a great British painter, played by Dominic Cooper, and uh, an aristocratic friend of his, played by Dan Stevens, his friend Gilbert, and of course, the wonderful, beautiful woman of his dreams, uh, which creates all kinds of issues, uh, Florence Carter Wood, played by Emily Browning, who I just think is fantastic. Emily Browning is just, a, she's going to be a much bigger and she's got a lot of great roles in ahead of her uh, and that's beautiful it's summer in February and Dan Stevens of course you know was uh, on Downton Abbey and uh, is I, I have to have you seen the trailer for um, uh, the, the new Night at the Museum
1: I have not I refuse it's,
0: it's abortive it's just horrendous it's, I've never seen anything so unfunny in my entire life it, I mean really it's bad you look at it and you just think are you, are you kidding me I mean like Ben Stiller does, he plays a double role he plays a dual role thank god he plays his regular character the Night Watchman guy and his caveman ancestor.
1: Yeah. <laughs> How
0: horrible you know why is the, that? You, you it's just do, the worst. You, anyway. You,
1: you know okay. why the movie will, will do okay? Mm. Because there's a number at the end of it. Yeah. And at the end of the title. I, here's what I think. They, I think the studios now should make all original films, like original films, not based on comic books, yeah. but put numbers at the end of the title.
0: So the people think that there's, it's a sequel? Yeah. So they yeah. figure
1: it's a sequel, must be good.
0: Well, anyway, Dan Stevens is in this, and there's, a, there's the, only decent, <laughs> the only decent laugh in that entire trailer is when Robin Williams steps... He, Dan Stevens plays King Arthur, and Robin Williams steps up and says, uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, president of the United States of America. And Dan Stevens smiles, looks at him and says, I have no idea what any of that means. And it, that's a funny line, and he delivers it really well. So Dan Stevens, really, really good actor. Um, decline of an Empire. Is a is a really weak movie uh, that is. This is it's a you know it it basically it's the uh, deals with the politics of Constantine when he was uh, emperor of Rome and you know a lot of the political machinations of holding the Roman Empire together at the time and uh, you know Maxendus is his rival for you know power yada 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 so forth and so on. Uh, Anyway. The only thing that makes this worth watching is that it has Peter O'Toole and Edward Fox in it. And, uh, you know, this is allegedly Peter O'Toole's final performance. Again, I don't know what else he had in the can, but this is, uh, that's what they're touting this as. And uh, Edward Fox, of course, you know, brother of James Fox, both of them great actors from uh, a long time ago. Uh, And Edward Fox, you know, he's been great in a lot of things, you know, uh, primarily Gandhi. He had a great role in Gandhi. So uh, seeing great British actors, even in something middling, even in something substandard, still a little bit of joy there. Now, two films I want to talk rather extensively about. Uh, Mark, did you see Railway Man? We didn't talk about this before the show. You didn't see Railway Man? I did not. What a terrific film this is. And I'm so disappointed this didn't do better. This is a Blu-ray and ultraviolet combo set. Uh, It is superbly well photographed. And, I mean, really gorgeously, spectacularly well photographed. Um, Directed by Jonathan Teplitsky, who is superbly, superbly skilled as a director. And this is a great film. I don't know why they didn't really try to make a a, a serious Oscar run with this, because I think they could have done very, very well. The idea is that uh, Colin Firth is a guy who has, rail cars are his passion, He he rides the trains, you know, trains are his passion. And he meets this woman, played by Nicole Kidman, and they kind of fall in love, and this romance starts. The problem is, their relationship is complicated by his past. And in flashbacks, you see a younger version of himself and his ordeal in a Japanese prisoner of war camp during World War II. And the only way that he can sort of resolve these demons is to, is to go back and see if he can find the, uh, the Japanese guy who so made his life a living hell there. And uh, it, it's a little bit like, you know, it's a little Bridge of the River County. Ca- uh, Bridge, R- Bridge of the River County. Bridge of the River Kwai. I'm thinking of Ma- Bridges of Madison County. Bridge of the- See where my head's going? No. I've I got don't. so many movie titles in my head, they, they wind up merging. Um, uh, it's a little bit Bridge in the River Kwai in the uh, the prison camp scenes, uh, and uh, it's a little bit traditional romance, traditional British romance, kind of uh, you know Merchant Ivory style and the other stuff. But it all it all hits. You know, it's a really well crafted film, beautifully put together. Probably not quite as epic as uh, as they all might have liked. But boy, I think this is a great film, really an underrated film. I hope it starts showing up on some top 10 lists at the, uh, the end of this year because it's just two superb actors and doing a great job. Um, now, Mark, let's talk about Locke.
1: Yeah, with my favorite actor.
0: Freaking awesome. It's awesome. Uh, Tom Hardy is the man. He He's is the man. The man. Tom Lo- Hardy's the man. Love it. This is just sensational. Uh, Stephen Knight wrote and directed this. Stephen Knight, of course, known for writing all kinds of great films. This is his directing debut, but he's written a ton of great movies, including Dirty Pretty Things. And uh, he's a superb writer. And um, this is a this is one of those film experiments. I usually don't like gimmicky experimental films, where it's like, hey, let's put a guy in a coffin, uh, let's put Ryan Reynolds in a coffin and bury him, and the whole movie takes place in the uh, in the buried coffin. Let's try to figure out to put him there. It's like, you know what? It's a gimmick, and I'm not a fan. I it, don't do boyhood. That. <laughs> boyhood. It's just enough with the gimmicks. But this one somehow makes it work, and it makes it work for a lot of reasons. The idea here is um, Tom Hardy. I don't know why he's Welsh. He's Welsh. So he puts on a Welsh accent, and, and it kind of makes the film. The Welsh accent is like there, there's this level of calm that he's trying to maintain, and the Welsh accent almost gives it this lyrical quality. He nails the Welsh accent. It's fantastic. Uh, Tom Hardy is a guy who is driving from London to a northern location in England. It's, a, it's about a, you know, a two-hour drive or 90-minute drive. The movie's only 84 minutes long. And um, during the course of that drive... He has got to hold his life together. Everything is falling apart. I mean, his personal life. It's not like a whodunit. There's no crime thing involved here. That's what's really interesting. Normally, these films try to, like, who put you in the box? Who cut your arm off? Who did this to you? Who, you know, gave you 24 hours to live? Who gave, you know, there's no crime element to this. So you've already kind of put yourself at a traditional movie disadvantage. It's like, well, how do you generate tension if you're not trying to figure out who did the crime? It's because he has to figure out how to hold his life together. He's a he's a concrete guy. There's a big pour that's happening, and he's normally on site, but he can't be on site because he's got to do this thing, and it's really important. And his family life is falling apart, and the job is falling apart, and there are all these things that have to happen. And the whole movie is him sitting in a car talking to a variety of people on the speakerphone, trying to just hang and put everything together. It's great. It's amazing. Yep. And did you read about how they how they actually filmed it with cameras? No, the, the, the process of actually doing this. I,
1: did, I, I don't know
0: what you're referring to. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's brilliant. This is why I think Stephen Knight is such a smart director. Um, they rehearsed the hell out of it, obviously, in real time. And then they shot it in real time in like three takes over, I think, one or two nights. might even have been one night. And they simply had him drive from point A to point B in real time with uh, uh, the GPS unit uh, in the car showing him his, l- basically the script was on the, on the GPS unit, right? So he sees the script right there. He doesn't have to worry about missing a line or anything. And everyone who phones in is back in a conference room in London where the director and everybody else is. And they're sitting there and they're obviously watching, you know, the, and uh, cueing everybody as to, okay, now you call in. And they're cueing the people in the room as they make the calls all in real time
1: pretty fantastic it's fantastic
0: right yep. I mean it's, you're executing it like a play you know it's like a stage play except there's a, there's a bit of a more you know a few more technological hoops to jump through but it's amazing I mean that is that is just great stuff that's great filmmaking and you never feel like it's claustrophobic you, you, you're sitting in the, in the car with this guy you're along for the ride and you, you just think I don't dude how are you how are you keeping it together how are you keeping it together it's amazing. It's really amazing. Hell of a performance, and doesn't it make you really eager to see what he does with Mad Max? I know. Dang man,
1: it's interesting. It's A24, a twenty four. Who they they distributed the film. They're yeah. an Interesting little uh, company. They're kind they're of brand new on the scene.
0: They well they 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 uh, they broke open with um, uh, Spring Breakers, and yeah, then they did, and then they made. did you know uh, the Bling Ring, and they're they and then they started acquiring a few more kind of adult oriented stuff.
1: They did the Rover. They
0: did The Rover, which did not perform, unfortunately. Um, it's too bad, but. They're doing some great stuff. Yep, they're yep. doing some really great stuff. Uh, okay, Mark. Uh, let's see. I've got. I have. I got a ton of stuff here that I know you're not going to want to talk about. We got. We got some docs. We got anime. We got. I gotta. Do, I gotta. Do, I gotta do the martial arts stuff.
1: You. You talk about what you want to talk about. Wait, well, I'm. I'm going along for the ride.
0: Uh, you know what? We. we I have to, I've, I've been saving this stuff up, and uh, I've been trying to get to this for a few weeks. I'm going to do it right now because we have got Tony Jaw in the Youngbok trilogy. Yeah. Oh yes. And uh, Ong Bak 3 did not get its, its anticipated theatrical release because, and that makes me sad because uh, I I loved Ongbok 2 even though it had nothing to do with Ong Bak 1.
1: Ongbok 1 o- is the best.
0: Ongbok 1 is a contemporary story, and Ongbok 2 takes place you know in, in like medieval Thailand and has nothing to do with it. Even though Tony Jaa has said, well, it's a like it's a spiritual sequel. I don't know what that means. Anyway, uh, and the great thing about Bak Two is that Ong ba- at one point in Ongbok Two, Tony Jaa, who directed it, took over for uh, his mentor in the first film. Uh, at one point, he just walked off the set and into the mountains on, on like a little Buddhist uh, pilgrimage. He went to go find himself, and they literally put the whole production on hold until he came wandering back three months later. That's yeah, bizarre. Isn't that great? Can you no, imagine a Hollywood? No. You f- can you, ma- can you it's imagine? It's all it- crew people. Got to work. <laughs> it's Thailand. It's a whole different mentality. Anyway, Ongbok Three pretty awesome uh, it picks up right at the end of Ong Bak 2 so it is more of a traditional sequel and uh, it's great it really pays off a lot of stuff it's wonderful it's just brutal it's fantastically well shot Tony Jaw is the man and all three of these films are now in a uh, Blu-ray trilogy from Magnet and you, you just gotta, you, you gotta go there it's fantastic especially if you just love things like uh, The Raid 2 it's amazing and uh, I am a big fan of Tony Jaa, which means I'm also going to be a fan of The Protector 2, which uh, features the Riza, because, you know, he's got to get in on all the martial arts stuff. And, uh, you know, the first Protector, I was a little bit more lukewarm on. I felt it was, you know, a little more gimmicky than uh, it should have been. But this is just just kills it. This is really awesome. I think this is still a threadbare story but the action is through the roof and that's because we are back in the hands of Tony Jaa's mentor, the guy who pioneered all of the great Thai uh, kickboxing movies, uh, Pratcha Pinkow and uh, it's just fantastic. Really, really well done. So uh, definitely check out The Protector 2 if you are a fan of Tony Jaa and especially The Protector 1. And then um, I'm a lot more lukewarm on Journey to the West. Uh, Mark, you're more of a Stephen Chow fan, ironically, I think, than I am. You were more uh, apologetic on uh, Kung Fu Hustle.
1: Oh, come on. It was fun. Hey. Although Chow, I, I don't know what happened to him. I mean, he's, what was the last film he's had distributed in the States?
0: Well, this, yeah, like in about two theaters. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah.
1: And the thing is that he's got such a great sensibility, so much fun and crazy, and just, the, you, you would think that American audiences would just treat it like a big, fun cartoon.
0: Yeah, but, the, but the, my favorite film of his never got properly released here, which is from Beijing with Love, which is a spy spoof, it's, but that never got released here, and it's uh. hysterical. Anyway... Most of his stuff is puns. You know, that's why it doesn't really translate here. If you're, yeah, but if there's you're, a lot of physical stuff. There's a lot of a crazy, girly, dervish stuff. Uh, but what the Chinese stuff. audiences love is what he does with the language. I mean, it's really wacky. It's puns, and it's double entendres, and it's, you know, it, it, that's what they love about it. Anyway, so uh, Journey to the West, Conquering the Demons, is a uh, it's another kind of wacky, nutty Stephen Chow thing. And uh, it... It, you, I guess you have to be sort of oriented towards a certain class of Hong Kong films, which deal with demons and ghosts, like a Chinese ghost story, and a lot of, you know, all the stuff that's kind of in that vein. Uh, it, it's, I don't know. Uh, it, it just, it's, it kind of, mis- it's sort of a misfire to me. It's a little too extreme, and it, it's still him trying to be funny, doing things that are a little bit too overtly funny. But whatever. It's a Stephen Chow film. I guess that's worth something for some people. um Super quickly, before we so I still have a little bit of time to get to some other decent things. The Angela Mao Ying collection. Angela Mao Ying was a big uh, martial arts star in yesteryear. You got six movies here in this set from uh, Shout Factory courtesy of Fortune Star that's where they licensed all their uh, their titles from uh, When Taekwondo Strikes The Tournament Stoner Himalayan The Queen's Ransom and A Broken Oath all from the 1970s she's not the original martial arts mama but she was one of the uh, the better ones in the post Shaw Brothers period uh, another martial arts double feature also from Shout uh, Hapkido and Lady Whirlwind definitely worth checking out um uh, Angela Mao Ying is uh, uh, again the star of Hapkido and, uh, and Lady Whirlwind so this, uh, this goes right in there with the Angela Mao Ying uh, theme and then we also have uh, a martial arts movie marathon of four films The Manchu Boxer, The Skyhawk, The Dragon Tamers and The Association the only one I can really recommend is The Association which, with Carter Huang uh, otherwise it was Carter Wong, Carter Huang, whatever you want um, the the Skyhawk has some moments. Uh, Sammo Hung shows up briefly in it and does a does a pretty good job. Um, this is kind of a lame uh, Wong Fei Hong movie, uh, the Skyhawk, before you know Jackie Chan really made the character something, and then Jet Li after him but the, the only one here that's really uh, really pretty, pretty sharp is The Association so uh, it's kind of a crime ring thing but you know it's also got Angela Mao Ying in it and uh, it's worth checking out, keeps our Angela Mao Ying theme going other movies of note uh, Patrick Kazu Tong in Dragon Wolf uh, this is from the, uh, the group that did Bangkok Adrenaline and this is from Welgo most of these films now are on Welgo a lot of these that I'm going through right now Welgo does all this kind of stuff uh, we've also got uh, Gong Yoo in the Korean film uh, The Suspect. Some pretty good action there. That's more of a kind of a hardcore political actioner. The Wrath of Vajra, V A J R A. One of the more interesting contemporized kind of Shaolin sagas. Uh, I. Didn't make much of the story. I wasn't paying a huge amount of attention to it. It's sort of whenever I heard people grunting and I heard bones cracking, that's when I uh, I tuned in. So I can't tell you what The Wrath of Bajra really is, but the action was good. Uh, King of the Streets. Uh, kind of a disappointment. Um, but if you are a mixed martial arts fan, you'll certainly appreciate watching a, uh, a Chinese film that deals with that world. It's, you know, that makes it a little bit novel. Um... Donnie Yen, doing a lot of great work, especially since he became uh, Yip Man, or Ip Man, as it is in the movies. And, uh, you know, at a a point in his career when he's roughly the same age as Jet Li and a little bit younger than Jackie Chan, and they are on the downswing and wrapping their careers out, Donnie Yen has had a career resurgence, and none too soon. So I'm really proud of Donnie. This is Special ID. Definitely check that out if you're a Donnie Yen fan. Uh, Eastern Bandits... Another one of these kind of uh, Hong Kong, Wild West, American hybrids, uh, a little bit too slick for its own good, but it's a really, really good cast, and uh, that's, you know, if you, if you like the uh, Once Upon a Time in China and the West with Jet Li, you enjoy that. Bushido Man is, uh, is an excellent action film, also a little bit thin in the, uh, well, I shouldn't say thin, it's a little convoluted in the story department. Uh, but uh, otherwise, also really, really good uh, really good action here It has nothing to do really with Bushido, the Warrior's Code It just makes for a nice title uh, Let's see, move real quickly through these This girl is badass with uh, Gigi Yan um, Or Yanin, I guess is how you would pronounce it This is a Thai film, kicks butt um, the, uh, Gigi Yanin is the girl from Chocolate if you've seen Chocolate, which is also from uh, uh, the, uh, the people who did the previous Tony Jaw films, um, pretty intense stuff. So she's amazing, and I will see anything that she is in, no matter how I pronounce her name. Uh, let's see. That's really not worth talking about. That's middling. That's not so great. Yeah, so we will, uh, we will call it at that. And uh, Mark... Shall we do just a few documentaries?
1: Documentary. Uh, Brazil. Not the movie. The documentary. Yeah. This was uh, hosted by Michael Palin, who has made a bit of a second career for himself as a document a documentary host. Maybe more than a documentarian. But uh, this is all about Michael Palin um, going to Brazil, where there's a big, big statue of Christ. Oh, and of it course. overlooks the whole thing. Now, Brazil, I'm under the impression uh, there was a World Cup thing with Brazil, Wade. What happened there? Uh, Brazil
0: you know, uh, did not win it.
1: Uh, didn't, didn't, didn't they get their butt kicked like 7-0 or yep, something? Yep, 7-1 by seven
0: Germany. one Yep. Trounced. Wow. Humiliation.
1: Anyway, anyway, I've never been to Brazil. I've been told to go to Brazil because it is gorgeous. Um, and here you do get some of that uh, gorgeous feel. They visit uh, Rio and Sao Paulo and, um, you know, you they meet loggers and gold diggers and... Not women gold diggers, but people actually dig for gold. Oh,
0: like people actually dig for gold? Yes, they do. I didn't didn't know that gold digger was not just a metaphor, but a real
1: thing. So the gold rush in California in the 1800s, that was just like, that was about women who wanted to date rich guys, is that all that was? Wasn't it? Uh, Yes, that's what I thought. Okay. That's what I learned in history. So Brazil, good stuff. Beautiful photography. This is from the good folks at BBC. Uh, Widescreen, looks good. So uh, yeah, if you're interested in Brazil and you can't get there, this might be the next best thing
0: next goal wins is a an apt post world cup uh, documentary um about american samoa's attempt to Basically, put together a soccer team that isn't just uh, that isn't completely and totally humiliated. Um, this all happened uh, about 13 years ago when they were clobbered by the Australian uh, national soccer team, 31 to nothing, which I think may very well be a record. Uh, so they decide they want to qualify for the World Cup, and of course they they don't. But it's you know what? There's something very inspiring about the effort. It's kind of like cool runnings, you know. There's a there's, there's just something about guys putting their heads together and saying we're going to do something that we know is, is utterly impossible, but somehow they, you know, somehow it, gets, it you just, you can't, you can't help but sort of just love the spirit of it.
1: Uh, the Royals is a uh, six-part British documentary about the uh, royal family, and this is uh, kind of warts and sum. I mean, it definitely gets into the scandals because you can't get into the royals without getting into scandals, um, even if it doesn't, like, totally dig down deep, but still... It's a very good overview. It says it's in in depth. I I would tend to disagree. But um, it goes all the way from all the the scandals and the weddings and the funerals. And they do manage to work in um, the birth of uh, Prince George. So, um, yeah. If you're into the royals, if you're a royal completist, and we know some of you guys out there, some of the ladies out there, they love the royals. I couldn't care less. I can care very little. I could not say I couldn't care less. Yeah. care very little. Yeah, sure. But if you want a good overview of the royal story, I wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, go elsewhere. This is very good. But if you want something really in-depth or really interesting or some great insights into how the royals work and what their life is like, I might go elsewhere. But for a six-part documentary, this definitely gets you a lot of the way. If you're a royal completist, you'll probably dig it. Um, Boredom is an interesting um, documentary about boredom. It's, show, it's all about people with nothing to do and how people try to avoid having nothing to do and what it says about them that they want to avoid having nothing to do and how, you know, people would argue that boredom is almost like, a, in a way, sort of a state of stress. Yeah. And it might be harming your health to be bored. So it's just a weird little offshoot of a documentary. Um, I don't know that I would take any of what I've learned in this documentary to heart. But it's kind of fun. It's a bit of a goof. He's not taking it all that seriously, although he does have some serious things to say about sort of how we live our life now and the the jobs and the culture that we have that makes it hard to be bored. Um, so, yeah, boredom. This is from the good folks at Disinformation.
0: I uh, got a bunch of uh, photography-related movies here. Interesting wait a second, yes. wait. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, by all means.
1: now we got this um brand new movie. It's all up it's all up in your multiplexes.
0: Mhm.
1: Called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yep. And uh this is a documentary called Turtle Power. The definitive history of the Teenage Mutant you know, you know what? Yes. So I went to the Dodger game, this is yeah. about a week ago, right? Okay. Went at the Dodger game, it was Dodger Tote Bag Night. Right. So you go in there, they give you a tote bag, and inside the tote bag there's a mask. And it's like a green mask with little eye slits and we didn't know what it was okay. it turns out that those are the, the masks that the teenage mutant ninja turtles wear because okay. the turtles they wear masks like one was okay. a red mask one was a green mask and we're looking at these masks and we're thinking okay they're gigantic turtles what do they need the masks for is the mask going to like hide their identity they're like a gigantic 10-foot turtle they really the mask is not going to do much to hide their identity <laughs> why are they wearing a mask
0: that's it, a really good question no, and I and I really delved into that. And I guess the answer would be because then they wouldn't be ninjas cuz to it be could a ninja be. you have to wear a mask.
1: We'll we'll put our best people on that. So um <laughs> Turtle Power is the definitive history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles which of course started as a, a comic and then it was a TV show and, uh, and now it's obviously it's a it's a moderately gigantic movie. And uh yeah I don't like the Teenage Turtles, but if you like it, I would definitely check out Turtle Power. And I
0: would tie that into the fact that we also, by no coincidence, this week have a release uh, from Lionsgate of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Cowabunga Classics, the top ten fan-favorite episodes of the animated show. And uh, that is being released really for no reason other than to piggyback on the movie. All right, photography is key to uh, these four films this week. Uh, One of them is a film by a photographer, Raymond uh, Depardon, who's a French filmmaker and photographer, who uh, his specialization is uh, people in the French countryside. And this is just a wonderful look at that part of France that's kind of frozen in time. Uh, it's rural France. You occasionally see it on the on the tour during the Tour de France, and you know they, these people live the same way that their parents lived, and their grandparents, and their great grandparents, and you know they are farmers, and they just live in pastoral uh, la campagne in France, and it's a, it's just a beautiful look at their lifestyle. It's the it's that part of France that you never actually get elsewhere, and the fact that he's a photographer, it's just a wonderful depiction. Uh, finding Vivian Ma- uh, Mayer or Meyer. Not the Vivian Meyer that we used to work with who was a publicist, you know.
1: This is a different one. Yeah, this
0: is a different one, M-A-I-E-R. That was an inside joke. Uh, Vivian is considered one of the greatest street photographers in the history of the 20th century. And she was originally a nanny. And her photographs were all signed, kind of taken during, over the course of her, her work, working. And um, it's, it's amazing. She became famous after the fact. She was never a professional photographer. She's just someone who took these, these kind of snapshots of life and uh, wound up becoming, after the fact, a, a literal legend, uh, someone who documented the, the 20th century in the most extraordinary ways. just a, a real gift. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful documentary about her contributions and who she was and all that. And then speaking of street photographers... There's also Matt Weber, who is the subject of more than the rainbow. Which is he's he's another street photographer. This is a guy who's basically a cabbie, and uh, became a street photographer in the same way. He just kind of uh, had an eye for it and had a camera and just started, you know, capturing the city and uh, using his little his little tiny kind of unprofessional camera to just get these amazing photographs. And it's all it really it tells you you don't need to have the greatest camera and the gear in the world to make the camera be your tool to serve the purpose of of, uh, documenting and and chronicling the wonders of New York. Uh, Really extraordinary and uh, perfect piece to go along with the other and of course he's still alive so you you get uh, extensive uh, interviews with him. And then lastly, In No Great Hurry, 13 Lessons in Life with Saul Leiter. Um, Also a great street photographer uh, who just passed away last year. And um, a little bit more, um, a little bit more known, I think, um, probably to the average layperson, because he was sort of celebrated uh, in ways that the, the other two weren't. But um, a lot of his, uh, a lot of his work was, you know really, I mean he kind of he kind of rose to prominence much faster during the course of his career. And um, this is all about his way of looking at life and looking at uh, the way you capture life and the you know the significance of color and composition and uh, it's great. It's just uh, it's really really wonderful. So uh, all of these are great documentaries about filmmakers uh, or about photographers through the eyes of filmmakers and one of course a filmmaker who is a photographer. And then um, couple f- to l- wrap out with the war centennial anniversary series: the First World War, the war to end all wars is uh, a whopping 10 from uh, Eagle Media that includes uh, really some of the best documentaries that you're ever going to see on World War I. Uh, The Great War, Mons 1914 and Gallipoli 1915, The Somme 1916 and Verdun 1916 uh, are probably the best here. There's also one on the Red Baron. Uh, This is just first-rate stuff. This is uh, an excellent five-DVD set in a nice big heavy metal tin that just uh, gives you, you know, if if you're in World War I mode and you're kind of commemorating the 100th anniversary of the war to end all wars, this is is one of the better things you could do and it's also a great gift. The tin makes it just a perfect gift. And then lastly here, uh, Disney Nature Bears uh, is a Blu-ray and DVD combo set of the latest Disney Nature documentary on bears. And uh, I have a daughter who loves bears. I don't know why they make teddy bears for little kids because they're just a deadly animal. It's the only deadly animal that apparently we can, we can give the children and, and make them fall in love with. I don't know what, I don't know who thought that up, but anyway, it's a really, really good documentary. It's beautifully shot, and I, I've been critical of the Disney nature stuff in the past, but now that I have a child, I'm kind of appreciating anything that has cute animals in it. So, there it is. Mark. Yes, sir. We are done. We're done? We're done.
1: Hey. No. Aww.
0: Maybe next week. Gods at Digigods.com.